jump in on that. There's information in the, in the midweek email, um, but you can just also show up 10 a.m. In, in the conference room. Brian Butman, who's on the drums, will lead that and, uh, and walk you through uh, some of those things. But here in the, in the book of Micah, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's on 656. Um, last week, I was thinking about this when, when Morgan Proudfoot was with us. He said thump, something that prompted, I think, a helpful discussion among the elders. And really, as we were gathering with our families together for, for something we're doing. And I, we found it interesting, not because it was controversial or unbiblical, but I think it promoted discussion because it's a true fact and something that we don't often pay attention to and that we don't often consider. And that is that Morgan, Morgan said that God's mercy has a limit. God's mercy has a limit. There is a time when God's mercy will end and his judgment will step in. And as we study scripture, we ultimately recognize that there's a day coming in the future. And we sang about that. Lord, come quickly. Even so, come. We're looking forward with great anticipation of that day when Jesus Christ will come. And yet there are also days of judgment between now in his mercy and then in his ultimate judgment. And that's one of the things that we see here in the book of, of, of Micah. You see, we often like to think of God as being a God of love, and he is, but he is also a God of holiness and justice. And at some point in time, in his sovereignty, God will judge. And so today, as we begin this new series, um, studying the book of Micah, we're going to look at some of the things that Micah called out for the people of Judah and Israel. You see, Micah in the original canon uh, was, um, in the original canon, the major prophets were on a scroll each. Isaiah had his, his scroll, Jeremiah had his scroll, and the minor prophets had their, or Ezekiel had his scroll. And then the minor prophets were all on one. So this guy, Micah, who happened to be from a little bit southwest of Jerusalem, um, got called by God and was given a vision to preach to the nation of Judah and the people of Israel. He served in the second half of the 8th century BC. He served among the reigns of three southern kings, and he served just prior to the ultimate fall of the northern kingdom. And while he lived in the south and much of his message is pointed at the south, the northern kingdom was not immune from his messages. In fact, he predicted both the fall of the north and the fall of the south. And overall, the book of Micah can generally be divided into three sermons, if you will. And you can see this by, if you read through the book this week, or if you're going to read through it later this week, you'll notice that there are three times when Micah says here. There's actually more times when he says here, but three times he begins a section with the word here which is a, is a call for us to not only listen, but a call for us to obey, a call for us to pay attention. And so you can see a little bit of the divisions here in chapter 1, verses 2 through, or chapter 1, verse 2 through chapter 2, 13. This is really a, a, a message of judgment on Judea and Samaria. And then the second sermon that he preaches is in, begins in chapter 3, where he, he he looks at the present injustice and the future, future prospect of the rule in Jerusalem. 
And then his, his third sermon is the last two chapters, six and seven, where he calls the Lord's indictment and on his people and the restoration of his people. And there's one kind of interesting thing that Micah does because, frankly, Micah is a hard book to read. If you read it this week, you'll know there's a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of sin that Micah is calling out. And yet, it's not without its hope. There, almost every time he condemns the people, he says, but there's hope. There's a judgment coming, but there's a restoration. There's these two things pitted against each other. And so today, as we look at the, consider the book of Micah, we're going to consider it in light of, of justice, the standard of that justice. And we're going to think about it um, in light of God's expect, our corruption, God's expectation of, of justice and his demonstration of that justice. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to look at it in smaller chunks than what Micah might have preached in order for us to try to get our minds around the difficulties of Hebrew poetry. So if you want to take notes, if you want to fill in the blanks, if you enjoy doing that kind of thing, the first thing that we have to see that we have to recognize is the standard of justice is God. God is the plumb line. God is the rule. God is the measure by which all justice is established. Micah's name essentially means who is like Yahweh, who is like God. And implicit even in the name of the book and its prophet is, is the incomparable nature of God. Micah's name asks a rhetorical question that has only one response. Who is like Yahweh? No one. There is no one like Yahweh. But not only is God seen as the ultimate standard based on the name of the book and its prophet, but this very same question is asked near the end of the book. Consider how it closes in Micah 7, 18. Who is God? Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. God demonstrates perfect justice by his character. He is forgiving and compassionate, and we love to experience that in our relationship with God. He is faithful to his promises, and he demonstrates steadfast love to his people and there is none like God he is the ultimate standard but the book of Micah not only seems to show that God is that standard of justice he in many ways in the in as he lays out the indictment against Samaria and Judah he does so because of their corruption of justice and really I think we have to look at the mirror on us and and see how we corrupt justice and we consider our corruption of justice just along, you know, along with the people of Judah and Samaria. In the three sections or sermons of the book, Micah warns of a coming judgment, and he calls them to pay attention and to hear how God will bring justice to their injustice. Micah's charges against the, God's people addresses several forms of injustice. If you have your Bibles open and want to look at Micah chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, he says this, "'Woe to those who devise wickedness!' And work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. See, one of the challenges with Hebrew poetry and Hebrew prophecy is that we don't often get the context. We don't always get to see what exactly happened that caused the prophet to say these things. But we can get glimpses of it. 
we can see that they were scheming with wicked actions. And then not, not only were they scheming, then they were acting on their schemes. They were taking advantage of the disadvantaged. They were seizing opportunities to oppress the weak and vulnerable. And it wasn't just the population at large. This was a top-down problem because the leaders, too, were corrupt. In Micah chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, he says, And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. What a picture. Micah, God through Micah, is painting this picture that these guys are cannibalizing, the leaders are cannibalizing the population. They weren't literally doing that, but by their actions of injustice, they were so treating people that way. They were feasting on the people by taking advantage of them. And then he continues in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You're building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. The very people who should have been upholding justice who should have been obeying God, who should have been following after God's laws, were corrupting it. I'm thankful that we generally live in a society where justice, where the rule of law is a standard that we can trust. I'm grateful it's an imperfect system, but I'm grateful that we live in an environment where we have justice. I, I've been reading recently uh, from a, a book by Vodi Bauckham, called Fault Lines, where he talks about the racial challenges that we are experiencing in our nation. And God recently called his family to go over to Africa. He is the leader of a school. And, and he, he said it was so interesting. People were calling out against America in his country where he is. I'm not going to say it by name. You can read the book. You can look him up on the internet. But they were calling out against America because of what they perceived, what the news was portraying, about what they saw as police brutality, corrupt government. And yet all the while, Vody, he in his, in his sermons, he had to call out against the people for naming America in that way because in their own, in their own nation, if you got stopped by the police, if you didn't do exactly what the cops said, which oftentimes meant opening up your wallet and giving over to them whatever they asked, you could be arrested or worse. There was no justice in that nation. There was no, no fairness, no equity. You couldn't trust. Who, and, and think about this. Even when the leaders are corrupt, who can you go to when something bad is happening? And so I think that's the environment that we find in, in Ju Judah and in Samaria. The leaders were so corrupt that the people didn't have anywhere to go. There was no place for them to go for justice which is why it's so important that, that our leaders here in our church, that our leaders here in our town and our leaders, the leaders that we elect, be people of integrity, be people who will uphold the law, the rule, and especially specifically for us, biblical standards. 
But what about our lives individually? Are we guilty of those same injustices? We may not have all the authority of these religious leaders. We may not have all the authority of politicians. Are we guilty of the same kind of injustice? We can be quick to cry foul. We can be quick to say, hey, I've been treated unjustly here. And yet when we make a mistake, we want grace from other people. Oh, I didn't intend to. Think about this. This is a a very minor example, but how often do I find myself? I'm typically a pretty patient person until I'm not. And I think most of us are that way, right? Where until the, the schedule just has to be there. And so uh, how often do I get upset when I have to wait too long at a light or when I have to wait too long in line or, or things just aren't going right? I cry foul, you know, and there's no place to call out. Just things get frustrating. But I demand justice. I demand fairness. I demand something to happen right now. And yet when I'm running late from a meeting or I start getting in the weeds on studying or, or, or something and I run late getting home and I fail to call my family and let them know how often do I expect them to just show me grace even though I've made them wait. It's unjust for me to expect that from them. But because God is the perfect standard for justice, no matter what we do, we will all fall short. We corrupt his standard. But what's more than just acting unjustly, the leaders and the people, they refuse to hear what the prophet is saying. It's as though they plugged their ears and and, and they weren't even trying. We don't want to hear it, Micah. Don't preach to us that way. Look at Micah 2, verse 6. The New Living Translation says, Don't say such things. The people respond, Don't prophesy like that. Such disasters will never come our way. We don't want to see it. It's, it's, you know that monkey thing? See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. We don't want to see, hear, or think about any judgment that might be coming. We're going to stay in our own little world. They refuse to hear that God might bring judgment. They refuse to hear of their pending destruction. And they chose to hear only what would make them feel good. In fact, in Micah 2, verse 11, he says, Suppose a prophet full of lies would come to you and preach of the joys of wine and alcohol. That's the kind of prophet you would like. The apostle Paul warned Timothy about that same kind of behavior, stating that there will come a time when people will only want to hear select things. 2 Timothy 4 Starting at verse 3, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know, how much of the church in North America would fit into that bill? We don't want to hear teachers that are going to preach the word. We want to hear teachers that are going to modify the word to adapt to our lives, what we think is good and right. God's prophets in the Old Testament were called to declare a pending judgment, and they also called people back to a right way of biblical living. And I think this is the essence of sound teaching. That's the essence of what it means for us to submit ourselves to the Word of God and align ourselves with His will. We need to be prepared to hear those hard truths. 
hear when God says, stop doing this. Start doing that. Give this up. Our society may want to label biblical values as old-fashioned and out of date, but we must remember that if God is the author of life, and if he has given us his word as a guide, then we are expected to yield to him, to his ways, to his standards, and not force his word to adjust to the changing values of our ever-changing world. And while sometimes the prophet's words are hard to hear, they are necessary. In fact, the word of God doesn't only tell people what they're doing wrong, but it gives us helpful wisdom for how to do things right. And so next here in the book of Micah, we see God's expectation of justice. God expects the opposite of what he's getting both today and and back in Micah's day. People seem to be asking similar questions about living and about some form of justification. In fact, in Micah 6, 6 to 7, the people are essentially asking, how much do I have to give to be made right with God? Can I, can I give up my firstborn child? Will that make me right with God? And then Micah answers in verse 8, Micah 6, verse 8. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, there are times when we want to assume that God only wants the biggest things, the best things. God is only most pleased with us when we can go overseas and be missionaries in a difficult place. God is only most pleased with us when we sacrifice everything. And yet I think Micah here is helping us understand he wants justice, wants us to love kindness and walk in humility. Let's think about that very briefly To do justice is to take action, to be decisive in a fair and equitable way, whether or not we get favor from it. To love kindness or mercy, sometimes we can think that it can be a burden to be kind or merciful. And yet kindness and mercy is not a religious obligation, it's a relational privilege that we have. Kindness and mercy is not a guilt trip, but it's a a generosity of the heart. It's helping the helpless. It's a giving, giving a hand up to the weary. It's spending time with the lonely. And yet, think about this. Those two actions, acting justly and loving kindness, they work really well together. When they're, when they're met up with a third one, and that, has, that is to walk in humility with God. See, this humility recognizes that we don't deserve anything that we have with God. We don't deserve the, the love that he has poured out for us. There is no quid pro quo with him. Do this and you get that. We're in a relationship with him because he chose us and he called us. This does not make us any better than anyone else. And so our natural response should be gratitude and humility. You see, when we walk with God in this way, we can see how God already tilted the scales of justice in our favor by allowing his perfect son to, be, to die as a substitute for our sin. Justice should be the natural response to a life that has been transformed by God. Loving kindness should be the natural response to a life that is being transformed by God. Humility should be the natural response of a life that is transformed by God. We can show kindness and mercy to others because we recognize how much we have received from God, how it was in his kindness 
that it was his kindness that led us to repentance that we see in Romans 2.4. I believe God may have some big things for us to do. He may call you out. He may call you to take your professional skills and go to a place where missionaries can't go openly. But he also may call you to be faithful to that neighbor next door. He may call you to bring a meal to that person who's shut in. He may call you to invite that person over who has no means of inviting you back. Are we content to do justice in small ways? Do we have hearts that overflow with love and kindness every day? Are we willing to walk the long road of humble communion with God? So, so far we've seen that the standard of justice is God and how we've corrupted his justice and, and then the justice that God expects of us. But finally, the book of Micah seems to help us see God's demonstration of justice. You see, God doesn't just demand something without first showing that something. God exists as a perpetual and perfect example. In Micah, we see at least three ways that God demonstrates this perfect justice. First of all, God demonstrates justice by helping the helpless. And like many of the other prophets, Micah takes us back to, to show what God has done in Israel's past. Remind them. Look at verse, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. The people of, the, of, of Israel were living as slaves in Egypt. They were slaves in a foreign land. They had no rights. They couldn't fend for themselves. And God helped them in powerful ways by bringing them out of Egypt and into the promised land. He showed them how he acts righteously. And in much the same way for us, God helped us in our Helplessness. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, he says, For while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 8, he says, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, let me encourage you, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you're just checking all this out, then let me encourage you to take a humble look in the mirror. Take a humble look at your life and see what has been the fruit of a life that is lived outside of the will of God? What shapes your perspectives and attitudes? What helps you recognize right from wrong? Is there a standard? As we've already seen, God is that perfect standard. As the Bible says, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of his standard. But the Bible also tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, if you're not a follower of Christ, repent of your sinfulness. Confess your sin to God. Be reconciled to God through the finished work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And if you don't understand what all that means, Let's get together this week. Let's get a, have a cup of coffee or tea or Coke or whatever, and we'll sit down and open the Word together, and we'll, let me, I'd love to show you what it means to be a follower of Christ. But God has demonstrated His generous justice by helping the helpless, including you and me. But secondly, God demonstrates His justice by restoring His people. 
You see, the people of Judah had sinned against God. They had committed heinous acts of injustice, and God eventually disciplined them through exile to a foreign nation. But again, in God's loving kindness, he restored them. If you're familiar with Israel's history, the southern kingdom Judah was sent away in exile, and 70 years later, they were brought back just as God had promised. Micah gives us some insight into this in chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. He says, in that day, in that future day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame, I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off a strong nation, the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. You see, God's justice has a healing element. Think about this. Those of you who are parents, you know what it's like when your kid, when your child acts out, when they say the wrong thing or when they take something they shouldn't. You have to bring in justice, right? When I was growing up, I know if it's not kosher to do this or not cool to do this now, but justice in my house was a wooden spoon. And when I did something wrong, my parents would take me into their room and lovingly but very firmly whack me over the rear end with a wooden spoon. And then they would hug me and hold me. They were, that justice was firm, but that restoration was true. And I think in much the same way, that is what God, God in his loving kindness was so patient with them. And yet he had to give them justice. And yet he restores them. But beyond just those of us who may be parents or may have had to act that way in our kids' lives, how can we do the same thing with people around us? How can we restore justly like God does? Maybe we can be people of reconciliation, restored those who have sinned and repented, reconciling with those who have offended us rather than holding grudges. Imagine, think about this, the massive offense that humanity has committed against God. And yet we willingly hold on to grudges because someone said something at one point in time. He willingly restores us. But finally, God demonstrates justice by providing a future hope. As if the promise of future restoration wasn't enough for the people of Judah, Micah reveals a hope that is a long time in the future. A hope that we celebrate at Christmas. A hope that we live in as his kingdom people on earth today. In Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old, from ancient of days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. You see, Jesus Christ was born roughly 700 years after Micah proclaimed that prophecy. He was born in the very town that Micah prophesied about. And yet, as we see in the book of John, Jesus' origin didn't begin on that Christmas morning or Christmas night in Bethlehem. His origin was from long ago. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. In John 1, 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And 
He was with God in the beginning. Jesus is that one who was from the beginning. Barely 30 years old, according to our timeline, as God himself, he had no beginning. He simply was, always has been, and always will be. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And as he walked on this earth, preached and lived and died and rose again, he set up a kingdom that crosses geographic and political boundaries, a kingdom of people who are marked by belief in his salvation, who are marked by hope in his future resurrection, in our future resurrection because of him. His people walk with him by the indwelling of his spirit, and he is the one who brought us peace between God and humanity by his death on the cross. He truly is our peace. And God gave the people of Judah a future hope, and he has given us that future hope as well as we look forward today when the, to the day when Jesus will come again, when he will reign for eternity, and we will be with him, and oh, what a day that will be. And while we have that future hope, we don't just sit back and wait. We get the joy of humbly walking with God each and every day, doing justice, loving mercy. So Micah helps us to see that God is the perfect standard of justice. He points out the fact that we and all humanity have corrupted God's justice. He showed us that God demonstrated justice and showed us what he expects from us. So the question really is, will we walk in the newness of life that Jesus has brought us? And will we live humbly, justly, loving mercy each day? Let's pray. God.